keep your sexy thoughts about me and our guests to yourself, no matter how wonderfully perverted they are. Listen to the outro if you want to know how to connect and enjoy. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wiley, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where strangers and sometimes even my very best friends join me to share their most personal details in an effort to replace shame and silence with celebration and sharing. Our guest today is one of my very best friends. He is a 35-year-old gay Cuban-American male. He works in advertising research and is also a fantastic writer. He's into lovers who like to communicate before, during, and after lovemaking, and is exploring his switch side. He loves erotic audio and role play, and he's very creative when it comes to making up role plays. I will just say, I mean, not that I've experienced firsthand, but like <laughs> I've heard the stories from secondhand. Originally from Florida, he now lives in Brooklyn. Welcome, Tony. Ah, thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm yeah. so excited to finally get your full story. So today, right now, will you please rate yourself on a sexual shameometer with ten being the shamiest and one being the least full of shame? think like a two, two or three. Okay. Okay. Can you give a couple words why? Yeah. You know, just speaking openly about my sex life on this podcast and on our weekly Sunday live streams and just with friends, I'm just very open. I, I don't have uh, a lot of shame about the things that I do. I do keep a few things private. And so that's why there's a little bit of like room. Yeah. Between <laughs> the, 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 the one and, and the, the three there. Okay. And can you just give our listeners a little snapshot of what your sex life looks like right now? Okay, so I'm very exploratory with myself lately, uh, over the past year especially. I am currently dating and having sex with the people I date. I am not attending, but would be in other circumstances, most likely attending group play parties, um, because that's something that I was just beginning to sort of dip my toe in before the pandemic. That's maybe too much information because that's, you know, stuff I'm not doing, but it's it's my wish, you know. Yeah, wish you were happen. about to come out to Los Angeles to visit me and to do like, a, yes. what was it? Like a gay naked man <laughs> sex thing. What was it again? Yeah, it was like gay naked yoga okay, with yeah, yeah. a release at the end. Yeah, <laughs> love. Okay. Okay, so now please take us back to the very beginnings, your earliest memories. When do you first remember hearing about sex? So I don't think I ever told you this story, but but the the first time I heard about sex, I had some cousins who lived across the street, and and this family of cousins, they were a fan, they were um, they were eight kids, and so some some of them, I believe, two of them were older than I was, and I had an older an older cousin from another side of the family who was around a lot too, and my sister is a year and a half older than I am, and it was those older cousins who first mentioned sex, but in a sort of like he 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 way, they came home from probably sex ed. And we're like, we just found out what sex is. And uh, I don't think they explained it very well. Besides, you know, they probably explained it as well as it was explained in school, which wasn't well. It, it was it was like a, this thing happens and people do it. And that's how babies are made. And the first thing I did was ask my grandmother who was around. This is at my grand. This is my at my grandmother's house. We were always there. And that's where the cousins lived across the street. And, and I asked my grandmother and she just plainly said, yeah, that, so, so, so she sat me down and she said, you know, this is a, it's a thing that people do for, I, I certainly, she said for procreation, but I knew that there was a sense of for pleasure and, or, you know, it, it didn't just happen for procreation because she, she said, and yes, your parents have sex and yes, a lot of people have sex together and you shouldn't have sex. You know, that was definitely part oh, of her message, too. Okay. I remember just being a little troublemaker and going to my mom when she got home and saying, and when she came over to my grandma's to pick us up, and I said, do you know what sex is? I just found out what sex is. And she's like, where'd you learn about sex? And I'm like, and I told her, and uh, that, you know, the older the older siblings and cousins had told me. And then I asked her, do you, do you have sex? <laughs> and she said she didn't. <laughs> and I said... As if, as if it was like a shameful, you yeah. know, like dirty yeah. thing, right? And so, I don't do that. yeah, I would never. And uh, you know, it's it's just for procreation, I guess, right? And so, um, and so I said, no, you, you definitely do. Grandma told me, and that was just <laughs> <laughs> not okay. <laughs> and then, you know, she argued with my grandma, which was <laughs> just okay. a thing. So, um, that's my earliest memory. So, I suppose 
<laughs> I never read into it much, but but I guess I think I think really early on I got a sense that some people were uncomfortable about it, mm-hmm. and to some degree, I think I think I felt that I should be uncomfortable about it too. And I I suppose even in that first day, I weaponized it. You know, I I weaponized oh. that discomfort anyway. So yeah. it was a lesson I learned that day, definitely. So did your mom or dad ever talk about sex with you after that? Like, did your family ever mention it? Did you get a talk from your parents? No, no, I don't. I don't remember a conversation about sex with my parents. With my grandmother, yes. When I went into, so my my sister and my older cousins were a a grade above me. So, you know, a year later, it was my turn to have sex ed. And I would ask, and that's, you know, that age, just everyone starts to talk about you know, you learn what a dildo is, or, you know, you learn what a blowjob is, and you know, or you, you don't even, you don't even know what they are. You just hear the words, you're actually. Hear, yeah, yeah, I remember. That. How yeah. old were you, do you remember? I must have been nine okay. when, when I first heard about sex. Maybe, maybe eight. Maybe it was a couple years. And, and, and then ten is when I had sex ed yeah. in class. Okay. So when do you feel like you really understood what it was? I might still be understanding <laughs> all of what it is today. I mean, I'm serious. I'm yeah. completely serious. And, and it, it is, I, you know, sex stories is, is about, it's understanding what it is for different people. And, and I think, I think in under, in hearing what it can mean for different people and, and how different people experiences, I often question my own ideas about sex because yeah. so, so many times a challenge about my ideas of sex have helped me grow in my own understanding and comfort with sex. And so I, I appreciate kind of taking in all of these experiences and thinking about them and experimenting with them sometimes too. Okay. So let me reframe that question. When do you feel like it's sort of okay. dropped in like, oh, sex isn't just this biological thing for procreation. Oh, it's not just a thing to use to shame people. It's a thing people like want to do. Like when did that piece kind of start to become clear for you? And do you remember how you understood it and what your emotional reaction to these ideas was? Yes. I had a I had a best friend growing up and I must have been twelve at this point. So sixth grade. I think I was twelve and sixth grade. And he had told me that he had had sex. And but but even, you know, I don't I can't think of a singular moment. I can think of a yeah. few moments. Yeah. One was when my my best friend told me that he had had sex with the new girl at school. Another one was when a couple of friends of mine, it, rumor around school was that um, a blowjob had happened underneath a table, like during a recess thing. And I found a porn stash from a, a, a relative's porn stash one time, like old, like VHS's. Okay, I, okay. And then. Wait, what kind of porn? Oh, all kinds of porn. <laughs> <laughs> Did you? So how much of it did you watch? Sounds like you must have watched a lot of it. Okay. Yes. Yes. So. Oh wait. And can I tell you one more moment before? Yeah. 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 Please. Please. And it, it happened sometime after that. But but watching watching porn with friends in my neighborhood, and them them jerking off while watching porn. When this is when we were kids, you know. Um, yeah. yeah. So those moments all kind of helped me understand like, oh, this is the thing that people desire. I always felt a kind of separation from that. I mean, it's because I I hadn't even become comfortable with my own desires or allowed myself to feel my own desires in a way. And I repressed that a lot, my own gay desires until I was in my late 20s. So it's been a long journey. So yeah, where where do you want to go with that? Because I I dropped a lot of story hints. (laughs) I know. No, that's so good. So I actually would love if you could kind of weave through your own personal experience and I want to hear the details or texture of the feeling of repression. Like, did, were there those moments that you wondered if you might be different or that you clocked desire and shoved it away? And, you know, can you kind of just give us your, whether or not it includes those porn stories, give us the sort of like unfolding as you remember it of your sexual self? It it does. It does include the porn because I remember the porn stash that I found. And I remember one porn star that was in this porn stash. There was this porn star named Peter North. And he was known for having, I would, you know, in my porn viewing journey, I would come to realize that he was known for having like gigantic cum shots. Like that was his jam. And so I I remember the first porno, and I, I looked at the name of it once because it was, it was a Jenna Jameson. It was like some something about like devils and angels, I want to say. And Peter North was in it, too. I, I just remember watching this 
and you know watching porn and thinking oh this is hot i should be watching the lesbian scenes but i want to watch the scenes with peter north or like the scenes with the two guys and the one girl and but and that's my earliest clocking mm. of like okay yes this but also this is what this is the script you know yeah. and that manifested in a bunch of ways the silliest of which looking back was I would make sure to watch the lesbian scene. You know, it's like, okay, I've checked the straight box. Oh, wow. And now I can watch the scenes with the dudes. It's It was a funny kind of calculation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that I'd, I'd have in my head. That's that's how. Yeah. Does that answer your question? Oh, well, yeah, it starts to. And I have like a thousand follow-up okay, questions. Cool, cool. <laughs> Great. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. I would like to hear how that also was reflected in your early experiences, if any, or lack of experiences, with other partners. And I also want to circle back to you mentioned a bunch of boys in a room together jerking off to porn. Did you partake? Yeah, I think that's actually an important part of the story, how I rejected actually engaging in stuff that felt gay adjacent, like homoerotic, mm-hmm. and jerking off together felt that way. And all of those guys are now totally straight, totally married, as far as I know, right? Yeah. And it is funny, one of my neighbors one time asked the cousin of another one of our neighbors to dick slap him because he just wanted to know how it felt. And I was like mortified by this story. I wasn't there, but I was- Wait, what exactly is a dick slap in this context? In this context, it was just, please whip out your soft penis and just <laughs> your flaccid penis and just hit my cheek with it. And, <laughs> okay, so, and so I just, I remember hearing this story and just thinking like that is, that it just made me so uncomfortable. Oh. It didn't make me think any kind of value judgment toward them but I certainly was like oh no like that can't be for me like that's too scary and so yeah I became very avoidant and I became very avoidant of talking about sex and maybe this is this is this is skipping a little bit ahead but you know I think that's probably why you and I didn't talk about sex and a lot of my a lot of my friendships were absent of these very in-depth conversations about sex that I I pushed away, I pushed Mm -hmm. against those topics and, you know, a game of never have I ever, like I would slowly disappear (laughs) from the room because I was uncomfortable with lying and I was uncomfortable with seeming like a loser who hadn't tried all these Mm -hmm. like cool, sexy things. And I think it would have just forced me to recognize just how different I felt compared to other people. It is really complicated and I want to be able to describe it well for you here this feeling of to be so uncomfortable with something that you feel that you pretend you don't feel it and you delude yourself with all kinds of like, it's funny, earlier I mentioned the kind of checkbox straight thing, right? Like the lesbian porn. And I think that that was just constantly going on in my head, a kind of, um, a kind of calculation of like, well, maybe I like, this guy who has these like gigantic cum shots, right? But I also kind of think like, I have a crush on that girl, don't I? Like, yeah, 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 I do, I do. And it was like finding those little bits of like counter things to feel comfortable about feeling this other thing without like really addressing that other like bigger, more genuine and authentic thing. Well, okay. Well, I have one question that I do want to jump ahead a little bit. First, have you been dick slapped ever now? You saw that it was not for you back then. Since has it ever occurred? Wow. And would you be into it? I like the idea. I like the idea too. And it hasn't happened. And I don't know why. I think that could be a very playful first sex date. I'm just throwing out this idea. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to initiate that very soon. Yeah. Okay. So to return to what you were talking about, I remember a moment or two or maybe more where I said something to the effect of like, Tony, are you sure you're not gay? What if? Like, just what if you are? It's okay. You know, and I I remember, like, feeling playful. And these were my young college years. And I was, you know, barely having sex myself. And I never could have imagined exactly, like, how that might feel to receive. What do you remember about things like that? Because I definitely remember you, like, going on dates with girls rarely. But, like, it happened. Yeah. You know, one thing was I had a sort of running story about myself in my head and about the world around me that has proven to be mostly false. And that was that the way that I feel is quote unquote normal. And that is a kind of 
attraction to things that some people would call gay, but that I wouldn't call gay Mm. because I'm definitely straight for all these other reasons. And that story that I had in my head about myself is the one that I applied to other people too. Like Mm. the attraction that I felt to women, I thought is how everyone felt attracted to women. And the sort of curiosity that I had about how I felt about men, I thought that everyone also felt that way. Like that, that straight guys felt that way. And there was plenty of stuff on the internet. If you dig, if you dig deep enough, you will find stuff on the internet to confirm these feelings. You will find people who proclaim a kind of comfort with straightness, with a little bit of bisexuality. And, and I was like, oh, okay. Like maybe I'm closer, maybe I'm closer to that. For me, it always felt like, uh, to be gay, to quote unquote gay, right? I don't know, just that that sort of um, uh, that sort of identity. It just felt like it didn't it didn't fit, and I'm, and also straight didn't have connotations of identity. Straight was right. just like straight is the default, right? Yeah. And this idea of being so different, I think, it just made me really uncomfortable. And and identifying with that difference made me feel uncomfortable. And I always had gay friends. I I gay friends in high school who, who weren't out, but also had like told a few people, you know, and, yeah. and no, and I had, I actually, no, I had out gay friends too. And, and I just somehow, I just, I was not comfortable with that for me. We didn't specifically touch on this. How did your family talk about the idea of gayness, if at all? It was negative. It was negative. There are a few, let me think of a few stories. There is this astrologer named Walter Mercado. Mm-hmm. Maybe I may have told you, I did say, okay, so Walter Mercado, you know, for the uninitiated, he is a, um, he was a, uh, he, he died a year or two ago. He was a famous television astrologer for across all of Latin America and Spanish speaking countries around the world. And at some point did like horoscopes in English too. And he would be on television uh, as part of this sort of like small horoscope segment for Telemundo and or Univision, which was always on. And my grandmother and my mom, especially my, my grandfather would always be around and kind of like you could tell that he was he was listening to the horoscope, too. Uh-huh. But if everyone paused, like you could not speak over this man or someone would shout at you uh, because because people love to hear his message, which was about, you know, sometimes it was caution for your sign. But generally, it was all about love and acceptance and whatnot. But thing the thing about Walter Mercado is that he he wore gowns and he wore makeup and he had like, he had a poofy like abuela hairdo and he was a a femme dude. And, you know, when he would come on and what he was wearing and and his mannerisms and stuff, there was negative. It it was like a, particularly from the men in my family, there was, you know, bad, bad words, right? Like bad Spanish words for being uh, slurs for for gay, mm-hmm. like that's how he was talked about, right? Like the that insert slur, right? Like that's um, you know he's on again, or, you know, and and so everyone listened, and so the, the, there was a part of me that was uncomfortable with. I'm I'm sure that that had an impression on me, right? Mm-hmm. I, and like it must have. I also one friend in high school one time uh, my, my my mom met him, and my mom had never met him, and and uh, and she had picked me up at his house. She, she got out of the car just to like meet some of my friends and and my friend's mom. And when we got back into when we got back into her car, she was just like, I don't know. I don't know if I want you hanging out with him again. Like there's just something there's just like something off. And I'm like, Mom, are, are you saying because you think he's gay? And and she's like, yes. And I said, who cares? Like, like, what do you like? Li- like, listen to your, like, really? Come yeah. on. And but. You know, I pushed back on that, but I, it definitely it made me feel a sense of where I would be in my family's sort of heart hearts. Yeah. You know, were I were I to be gay? I think those things th- those are two things that had an impression. So, how did all of this affect your touching yourself? Did you masturbate at all growing up? And like, what was that like for you? And did you have gay fantasies, or did you like force yourself to think straight thoughts when touching yourself? Oh, I told, I definitely had gay fantasies and that's, that's the thing. But you know, it was like, I could have gay fantasies as long as there was like a girl in the fantasy too. 
Oh um, man, you really like. <laughs> I feel like you got like the it was good like, girl conditioning, but for boys. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did. I had that conditioning. Yeah. Like I some of some of the porn that I would look for on the internet was uh, gangbang porn. And a lot of my fantasies were that, too. And it was something about the idea of, like, guys high-fiving, you know, uh-huh. uh, like like that that little touch, you know, uh-huh. like that, uh-huh. like, turn me on. And then, but, it's, but you know, what's interesting is that in, in the real world, I was just so, I just, like, immediate block. And should we skip forward to the first time that I felt, like, like butterflies in my stomach about a yeah. guy? Or should we, okay, so that was... That was in college. There was this guy in my PR class who it was the first day of, of my first PR class. And he um, he sat next to me and uh, he, was, he was sitting to my left and his arm was just so his forearm was just very big and muscular and and hairy. And I just remember feeling like flushed and and like please don't talk to me like, like, like to this, like thinking to myself, like, I hope he does not talk to me. Like I just, what's happening. And I just thought, you know, and, and just, you know, the track in my head being like, no, this is, I think everyone feels this way. This doesn't mean you're gay. Like this is me. Right. And, and like, and then like relaxing. But then every time I saw him, I felt the same thing. And that, but, but over time we ended up working on a group project together and over time, all of it subsided. And it was like, I never had to really reckon with that. And I never compared that feeling to the feelings somehow, the the feelings that I got from watching porn with guys in it. Another way that I touched myself growing up, I, I just I, I want to mention this story because I, I think it's not it's not that unusual. You know, a lot of people talk. So I, I would make a um, if my family was out of the house for if I knew that they would be out for a long time, I would make, I guess, like a basically like a, the equivalent of a fleshlight but out of a pillow and I would roll a pillow up into a cylindrical shape and then put saran wrap in the middle and and then, (laughs) and use lotion. (laughs) Wait, was it like a regular pillow? Was it like a gigantic flashlight or like, and how did you do the saran wrap? Did you put it on the pillow before rolling or did you stuff it in afterwards? Like logistically, how did it work? Or did you put it around your penis? Logistically, so... So I would, it would be like an old pillow that's okay. kind of flattened, yeah. right? Yeah. And yeah. then I'd roll it, I would roll it up. And I remember like I would try to roll it up as tightly as possible. Like, a, <laughs> yeah. like get, can I write, like you're like rolling up a sleeping bag, you know, like you want to totally. like make it as well. So, get all um, the air out. So, uh-huh, all the air out. And then, <laughs> and then I would tie it with whatever piece of fabric or rope. I can't remember that. But, and then, yeah, I would stuff the saran wrap in it. Uh, oh, I think I would put lotion first. Okay. And then somehow like, get, how would I get the saran wrap in? I think sometimes I would pull it from the other side okay. of the, of would the pillow. Would you come inside somehow. of it or where did you come? Yeah, I would, I would come inside of the saran. <laughs> so great. Oh my God, that's great. Have you masturbated like that lately? I haven't. I haven't. And <laughs> I don't have a flashlight. I should. That could be fun. <laughs> Since we're on the topic of masturbation, will you please tell us the most sensitive parts of your body? For example, are there erogenous zones that you perhaps have that are not on your penis? But also, please tell us the details of your penis. Okay, leading question. <laughs> <laughs> Someone knows the answer. Um, yeah, so my, my nipples are very sensitive. And I cannot remember when I discovered my sensitive nipples. But it's I don't I don't, I don't think it was an exact moment. But they have definitely become a bigger part of my self play and like play with others over the last three years. I, I just, I like to have them rubbed and, and pinched or licked or lightly nibbled, Mm -hmm. but in a very, it's, it's very important that whatever's being done changes and it alternates from something some light caressing to some pressing or just even even just like pressing and holding or or just hover like hovering ever so lightly that also turns me on um and then like light pinching for anyone who's not watching the video i'm really just making a pinching motion like a crab might so um (laughs) gentle crab pinch and uh gentle crab pinch uh and yeah those are those are some fun things okay i have tried a clamping apparatus Mm -hmm. 
I've tried a cold clamp for it, like like a clamp that I put in the freezer mm-hmm. too. And those were fun, but they're just not, you know, part of my my standard. Have you ever had a lover have an ice cube in their mouth or drink a cold beverage and then lick? No, that sounds great though. I'm just coming up with ideas. Okay. And can you please tell us about your penis and your balls? Sure. Um oh here. How did how did I not think of mentioning this? So my I think the most the most interesting characteristic about my penis is that it two interesting things. It curves down mm-hmm. and my the the opening of my urethra isn't at the top of my penis, like at the tip of my penis, but it's a little lower than the tip of my penis. Like toward the bottom of the curve lower? Right. Yeah. Does that mean that you have yeah. to angle differently to not pee on yourself? No, no, because somehow like the shape of the, angle. the tip of my penis <laughs> makes it so. Like it oh. it does project. Yeah. It is. And it's something I was always really self-conscious of. Okay. Uh, like I I think the first time someone saw my penis, it was all I could think about. Absolutely really? all I could think about. Okay. Because I knew it was unusual. Are you circumcised? Yeah, yeah, I'm circumcised. So and, and it turns out that the reason so so I was born with something called hypospadias, which is the when it is it is when your urethral opening is somehow underdeveloped. Oh. And so, sometimes the opening is at the very, the very base of your of your penis. Um but anywhere between like the base and the and the tip, if it's anywhere in between. So I don't know how far down mine was born, but I had corrective surgery that I can actually remember oh, having like, I can remember the, the recovery of. I, I don't know what probably probably like very early memory. When do people when do people four, maybe three or four, mm-hmm. I think. And I remember the recovery. I remember the uh, the catheter and sort of like the stitch, the stitches around my penis. And I remember feeling different when I first saw penises on in porn because oh, I because so so few penises curved down and and everyone had the opening on the tip. Mm-hmm. And I really thought, oh, this is weird. Oh. And I don't know. I don't know when. But at some point. So so what happened was I had that corrective surgery. But for whatever reason, it's still like a little lower. At some point, my gra- I, I think I'm, I must have asked my grandmother because I, re- I remember my grandmother telling me about the surgery and and then me telling my parents about what my grandmother told me and my parents being upset that my grandmother had told me about the surgery. And then mm-hmm. that made me think like, oh, I wasn't supposed to know this. And there's sort of some sort of there's something that shouldn't be. It, it made it less normal for me oh, to know. It almost it, it it was almost like being told not OK, not even almost like this, but it's like slightly similar to being told like you're adopted, but your parents didn't want you to know you were adopted because mm-hmm. they felt like it would have some sort of effect on you emotionally or, you know, developmentally. I don't know, but that's what it felt like. And I remember thinking, oh, like, could this fuck me up? Like, could, is this, should I not know this? Oh, and wow. That was weird. Has it ever come up with partners for you? It hasn't. Okay. I, like it, it's, it, it has in that I'll talk about it, yeah. but it's not something that I always talk about before hooking up, for example. Okay. Um, I feel like it'd be a great lure, personally. Like, oh, yeah, my penis is unlike anything you've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Weird is is not uh, the best word, yes. I like like unique or, yeah. Did I say weird? Oh, no. No, I said it. I said weird. Oh, okay. I was like, oh, no. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And my balls hang low. You would ask me about my balls. They hang hang generally hang very low. Did they like scratches, touches, squeezes? Tell us just in case your future lover listens to this and wants instruction. Well, future lover, I would just say work your way up to some licks and scratches and teases because I'm very ticklish okay. in the balls. Okay. Very, very ticklish. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, and, and as far as erogenous zones go, uh, my anus also very ticklish. And so, yeah, like some tongue play or fing- uh, f- fingers, not really, but you yeah. You said um, you don't like yeah. fingers. I don't. Yeah. I don't like fingers. I. Is it because of ticklish? I don't think so. I don't think so. But licking and like breathing on it, right? Like the two things together, it, it's very ticklish until there, there have been times when it's not ticklish. It's just so rare that it's not ticklish. Okay. And, and I haven't figured out the, you know, I haven't figured out the secret, you know, 
code or order of operations, but maybe that's the challenge for a future lover. Also, you don't know if it's that code's going to get changed every day, every five days, every <laughs> six. True. They might change yeah. it at random to keep it from you, to keep you. No. I mean, maybe you just, yeah, you need a, a lover who wants to, right. who enjoys cracking codes. <laughs> okay. So can you just give us a little overview of the partnered experiences that you had leading up to your like, oh, wait, I'm gay moment? Sure. I should show you a before and after picture because something happened when I studied abroad when I was 21. I studied abroad in Sydney, Australia, and there's a picture of me taken on my first day there. And I just look so geeky and like different. And but it, it is who I, I was at the time. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a very like quintessential picture of me. And then it seems like every picture after that, I was like, more attractive. I am <laughs> saying this. But I'm see I don't know what it was. Like maybe I think it was maybe after my first haircut there or something. <laughs> but you know, maybe it's maybe it's completely in my head that I looked different. Maybe I looked the same. But mm. something happened where like I was getting hit on a lot by women. And it was like shocking and scary, you know, because I I think it was also, I mean, it was just like study abroad. So I think everyone's just kind of like, just it's like a big party hook up with everybody, you know? Yes. So I, I had a lot of aggressive, not, not in like in a, not in a bad way. I, I mean, like it, very, very cool, like very coolly aggressive. I was welcoming of it. I wasn't putting myself out there. You know, I, I wasn't being the pursuer and that's sort of, those were my experiences leading up to coming out. This one time I was out with two friends. We went on a weekend trip to Melbourne and we were staying at a, in a hostel room that had two bunk beds. So four beds. And there was no fourth person in this room. And like I said, it was just the three of us. And we went out one night, met this couple, the girl in this couple, uh, stayed out with us and then insisted on coming back to our room and then insisted on being in bed with me and then insisted on fooling around and I felt uncomfortable doing it in the room. So we went to the, we went to the bathroom down the hall and fooled around in a stall instead. The, but, and then the only thing going on in my mind was I can't have her, I, like, I just, I just want to get rid of her because it makes me so uncomfortable oh. because it made me so uncomfortable. And, and I, and because those moments all made moments like that all made me reckon with, you know, like, why, why am I not turned on the way yeah. I want to be? Yeah. But also, like, maybe this is normal. Maybe I just haven't, maybe yeah. I'm, I just haven't, like, found, you know, someone who I'm really attracted to. Yeah. And that that was that was sort of the defining story in my head. Like, I just haven't found the person who I am emotionally attracted to. And the emotion plus the sexual, like, that was, like, the magical thing that I was searching for, right? So anyway, wait, wait I should go into more detail. So, so, we, so in that stall, people came in and out and stuff. <laughs> wait, like, while you were doing stuff? While we were doing stuff, Yeah. But I, I, rem I remember like I was I was just so nervous. I was not turned on. I was full. I was totally mostly flaccid. I was going to ask like how I would be so anxious. Yeah. OK. OK. I was so anxious. I was so anxious. And and so she um, but I, I, I got her off and okay. she had a good time. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I apologized for not having a boner. And she's and she said she said, I don't care. I had a good time <laughs> <laughs> or I don't care. I got off. I'm like, OK, great. <laughs> Great. Now we can send you home. <laughs> and we did. We got her. I got I got her. I walked her out and she got into a car and went home. So wow. that was nice. Did you ever end up having sex with any women? And how do you define sex? Yeah, I did. How do I define sex? I define sex as I would call that sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think anytime someone has their genitals in an aroused state, I think that would that would make it sex. I love it. That, like being being touched and like if there's like interaction and there's general arousal, mm -hmm. like and contact, physical contact between genitals or hand in general or mouth in general, that's sex mm -hmm. to me. Did you ever have an experience with a woman where you did stay hard or get hard? Yes, I did. And it, it was I mean, it was uh, it was someone who I met on Tinder. So at some point I began to pursue women on the apps and and I did date this girl from Tinder for a little. How old were you? Maybe I was 24, mm -hmm. maybe 25, I want to say. Sounds about right. Yeah. And she was nice. And uh, we did have sex. And I was, you know, I was I was hard and I thought that that was fine. But now having had sex, I'm like, I'm like, I wasn't as hard. Okay. You know? <laughs> 
Okay. What else do we need to know about your pre-officially gay Tony sexual self? So I, what the, the event, one, one event that ultimately helped me understand that something was up and that I wasn't being truthful to myself was I had begun to date someone who had been a friend of mine and who was perfect in all the, in all the ways, you know, in, in, in my mind, like who, who, who I would look for in, in a romantic partner. And I definitely felt crush feelings for her. But when it came to sex, we, we, we never, we made out a lot. We, I maybe, I think we dry humped sometimes, but we never had sex. And the reason was because it, it felt so big, like, mm-hmm. like it, it felt like, uh, it was very pressurized because we'd been friends for so long and standing on the precipice of having sex, it felt like, oh, like I might be going too far into something that feels very misleading mm. and very potentially damaging or painful, right? Because for me, sort of, it almost felt like a, a seal that would, that would break that I couldn't come back from if I, something, like if I wanted to if I wasn't sure about something, you know, and, and like, it made me really address those some things <laughs> like, what is it that you're not, what, what, what is that for your Tony? Like what, what is that thing that you think you want to do that you're not doing that? You're not letting yourself do that, that, that this feels like it's going too far down a path that is not genuine. And it was, it was an, it was an asking myself that question that I realized that I needed to think about all of the things from, and at that point I had been watching I had been watching gay porn and I would, again, like, like I said, like the calculations, right? Yeah. Like those yeah. were also happening in my head, but it had escalated to the point where I was very like much into gay porn. So, so yeah, I, I, that was, that was the moment. And I ended up, I, I, I broke up with her, just told her that I'm not feeling it. And, and it got in the way of our friendship, which we rebuilt like about a year later, we began to rebuild that friendship and we're really great friends now. But it was it took it was like two years. I was completely not dating, completely celibate, definitely like exploring with myself, watching different kinds of porn um, that that's how I did it. And and reading a bunch uh, on the Internet for better, for worse. And yeah, anyway, it wasn't until a year later that I or two years after that moment, about a year and a half or two years that I came out to a friend here in New York came out coming came out ish Mm -hmm. i i told her that next time i date i'm gonna date guys too that was my coming up and a few months later i i I met someone and anyway i might be skipping ahead but no this is you're leading right into it give us the details what so was there it sounds like that was kind of a pivotal moment was there anything in particular that led up to that or just it sounds like there were two years of celibate research around your sexuality (laughs) i don't know if you would think of it that way but oh You know, I I sometimes wonder, I I don't totally know. I did a lot of things outside of my comfort zone in those two years. Mm -hmm. You know, to some degree, I wonder if that kind of overachieving, constant outside of my comfort zone, constant like stimulation. I I wonder if some of that was a mechanism for distraction. When you say outside your comfort zone, do you mean sexually or like just in the world? In I, I mean, I mean, in the world, I mean, in the world, I, I took I started to take dance classes. I started to take a, I took multiple coding classes. I took my first writing class during that time. And these were all things that would force me to perform in public. I'm not a public performer or I didn't think of myself then as a public performer and, and to put, you know, my, my writing out there and to have it critiqued in, in class and coding was something that it, it felt like it was a return to to a side of me that was not part of my education, which was, you know, all like arts and humanities. Yeah. And it that that sort of like technical thing felt good. I, I traveled alone a lot in those two years. Well, so it sounds like you were getting to know your fucking awesome self in all these creative <laughs> ways. And that that maybe ended up maybe leading to your openness, your new found like what what was the moment? where you then chose to date a man, like where you were like, I am going to try, like, where did it go from? Like, I think next time I date, I'm going to also date men to the point of like actually doing it. What was that like for you? So I met a guy in dance class who I ended up going on an accidental date with. I didn't know if he was gay, but I asked him, he was cute. 
And I knew, but the thing is, in my head, I was like, it wasn't like, oh, he seems cool. Like I'll have a, I was like, he's attractive. Mm. I want to spend time with him. Mm. And I, I made that choice and I asked him out to get a drink after class. And we did. And there he told me that he was gay. And then suddenly I was like, flushed, like, oh, what's going to happen? Like, this is so exciting. And later that night when I got home, we didn't kiss or he didn't even ask me about my sexuality. Mm -hmm. I, I remember just going home and thinking like, oh, that's the feeling, that excitement, <laughs> that that desire to want to see someone, you know, naked, yeah. both like physically and emotionally even, yeah. you know, it was a wild moment to to think like, oh, that's what that's that's what other people feel. And like, that's what I'm I've been missing out on and talking myself in circles around. Yeah. So what happened once you got to gay sex? <laughs> so I think I did not get to gay sex until a few months later when I got into my first relationship. And what happens when? It, OK, <laughs> I was just excited. Like at that point, it I, you know, things really clicked into place. It just it, it was just so quick. So bet between meeting that guy in dance class who I ended up kissing like a week later, who then I ended up having a really long conversation about coming out and about sexuality and my feelings for him in particular. And uh, as a result of that, I came out to my sister and then I came, th this was all in a matter of like two months or something, came out to my sister, came out to all my friends that, you know, were a part of my daily life, came out to my parents that Christmas, which was just two months after. And then I met the person from my first relationship like a month later. And then we hooked up for the first time a month after that. So I was just so comfortable and I was just so like, let's do everything. Oh, cool. <laughs> like, okay, that like was I going to ask. I want to try all of it. How did you know or you didn't know? Did you know if you were one side or the other, a top or bottom? I I didn't know. And honestly, I always, I, you know, at, at the time I felt like that distinction was sort of arbitrary, like an, an, like an arbitrary construct, I guess. Mm -hmm which I no longer believe. I just think it's more complicated. I just think it's really complicated for some people. And I think it's, it's I think it's simpler for other people. But for me, the top versus bottom felt arbitrary. Mm, mm -mm. I, I remember at some point feeling a distinct kind of like, I must do both. Like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, like, uh, I once heard someone on another podcast, let's call it like militantly versatile. Like, that's how I felt. <laughs> well, you do have a history of wanting to check boxes. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so that would that that would that would describe how I felt about it. I was like I was like no, we should do both. Like we should we should both want to do both and mm. not to want to we should should and want are mm. Mm, it's tricky to Ooh. mix those things. I recognize that. But it is it is what I thought then. It is how I felt then, which I don't feel now. It felt like doing both was was somehow right or like more equal in a in a way that I can't even that was so long ago. It feels so long ago that it's hard to understand even like where I came up with that idea. You don't need to understand the origins. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. But I, I think it has something to do with male and female roles and the sort of like, I think I was raised with a lot of societal messages about w w women needing to sort of like protect their flower, you know? And mm -hmm. I think like those sort of messages had still been and stories and things had still been like running through my head, this sort of, you know, delicateness of bottoming, essentially, and preciousness of it and a sort of misunderstanding about the pleasure of it also, I think. Anyway, that's that's the most I can. Well, I would be remiss if I did not ask you as you were entering this sexual part of your life. What about conversations around health and safety? Oh, God. Yeah, I was really into I was always so comfortable with talking about condoms and prior sexual experiences. I think what was tricky is that I having had so few sexual experiences, zero in the two years, you know, leading up to this relationship, I was completely clueless about the shames and feelings about moments of less safe activity or, you know, lapses of judgment that are natural. I, I, I mean, I, you know, like I was overconfident about those conversations and expected the same of partners without realizing how people's shames can keep them from mm -hmm. being honest. I, I mean, it, it can make some partners really defensive too. 
I've, I've, I've come to learn over the years. And so anyway, I was completely clueless about that. Just thought like, yeah, of course we talk about everything. And like, you know, we should talk about everything and you should talk about everything. A lot of shoulds. And, uh, and yeah, that's, that's where I was. I'm, I've since changed, but. Can you tell us some of your favorite things about sex? Tell us the details of what you enjoy. Tell us the sensations. Tell us about audio erotica and how you make up stories, wherever you want to start. Just tell us, just tell us details not like you don't have to include specifics with parties, but just yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so I just so my my, my favorite sex really is when it's it's when there's like a mashing or like a melding of one's like souls. I can't. I don't know. <laughs> it's when you really you feel like really connected. Everything just feels fluid and everything just and there is a lot of fluid, I guess, too. <laughs> it just it just feels really you're in, in sync and in rhythm emotionally and, and not you don't even have to be there physically, but just when you are there emotionally, you can talk about anything during the play and you know there's there's just it's just there's like good rapport. Anyway, that's that's my favorite feeling. And it feels like a thing that can shape like a relationship that you are into. Like when after the sex, I feel closer to like who I'm with and like maybe even closer to God. That might sound silly to people, but that's like the best sex. And honestly, when I don't get that out of sex, it just feels like so much effort. Like why, why even do it? Like I can't can't even get into it. I am with you. (laughs) I have now been spoiled by sex that feels like co-creating a delicious mutual experience that for Mm. me is transcendent. And so then I feel like connected to humanity and creation and all that is. And so I don't just want to like get fucked casually and have an orgasm. Like I like want someone who is there and present with me. And I think we're kind of on the same page about that desire. One thing that I know that you are fantastic about is holding space with a partner and inviting them into your creativity with stories and you talk them out loud. Can you give us a little detail about that and how it works for you and maybe an example? Here's where I discovered it. So it was with a partner who we were hanging out near my apartment and there was a, uh, there's, there's this place that sells antiques and they have a bunch of knickknacks along with their antiques. And there were these yardsticks, I think they're called. What are these wooden things? A yard long. Are they called yardsticks? Okay. So I remember saying to him, uh, you know, maybe we should get one of these and like fool around with it. And then I think I looked at the price and I was like, nah, but later we were having sex and this was at his place and I had ejaculated and he hadn't. And so I was just like, I, I, I was just like trying to, trying to like keep him, like turn him on. I was, you know, trying to make him feel good. Right. Mm-hmm. It was just like a moment. And, and, and so it, it occurred to me to just tell him to, to ask him to imagine that we had the yardstick. And I think the story that I told was, it was probably something, something like, what if somehow I secretly bought that yardstick and I brought it? with me here. And right now I picked you up, threw you on the bed, forced your butt into the air and smacked you. And I think he just like, he just like exploded. Like, like, I didn't even think I get it as far as the saying what I would do with yeah. the stick, but just like mentioning it that was there. And like, and it, and it was just like such a quick, and then we both, it was like for both of us, like, oh, like, what is this superpower? Like yeah. we should play around with this more. And then we did, we, we played around with it every once in a while. And it was really nice. Did that also tip you off to your dominant streak or your switchy potentials? Like, mm. how how does that develop for you, or what are you curious about exploring there? I think so. I think that is my that that is a dom thing. That I probably tend to be the initiator or the person in control of a scene. Scene is you know it's sessions, not as sex session. as it sounds. Sessions, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Sessions. Yeah, um, people I like say that. scene is scene is the word people use. I find it extremely confusing because I'm like, come play with me. And I'm like, oh, wait, not in a sexual way. Well, no, like you can talk about sex. You can be naked. I'm not inviting you to a sex party. No, but come play. Mm. You know, like it's it's I wish we yeah. had different language. <laughs> but yeah, I, I've, I'd always I'd always just felt more comfortable in that. And I think it's because I like control in life in a lot of ways. Like I, I am a subscriber of like as it relates to the control that I enjoy in sexual sessions. I think it's carried on from how I am in real life and in all areas of my life. And I subscribe to this sort of like Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins and 
other sort of gurus who talk about making the most of every moment and 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 sort of how, how much is in our control and the self-helpy stuff right and so mm -hmm. i think that that has just carried on into my sex life in a way that is sometimes healthy sometimes i think i like that control but i also recognize that it might be nice for someone like me in particular who seeks control in so many areas of my life that maybe giving up control in the bedroom would be a good thing and yeah. so uh i am for that i haven't met a lot of guys who want to do that with me or who yeah. are comfortable doing that with or me who can facilitate um, it for you yeah and a part of that is my own comfort right with mm -hmm. the individuals too i think i have to build a lot of trust and a lot of a lot of connection before i i would put myself in a position where i would give up control i just need to work my way there so that your that was that was your question i so, think yeah so what else are you wanting to explore on either side can you give us a couple of thoughts that are at the front of your mind yeah i did recently explore giving head to somebody who dirty talked and I, I asked him to I asked him to hold my head down and I asked him to yeah to say to say I asked him to dirty talk and the, you know that I I give him credit you know he tried mm -hmm. you know he, he 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 did say stuff like oh yeah you like that cock and stuff but I I want to try more and yeah. I get now that you mention it like I didn't get a dick slap out of that I should have initiated a dick slap <laughs> I <laughs> so yeah the, it, it it was it was fun to to sort of give give up in that moment. And it was a major turn on for me. So I, I, cool. I think, I, I think that would be nice to explore more of, but you know, I'd had, what's funny is that I'd had an experience that was similar with a previous partner where we were on, on a short trip and we were at a house that a bunch of his friends were staying at for a weekend. And this house had a, an outdoor shower and his friends had all gone out. We were going to meet them later. We began to fool around in the outdoor shower and then we went inside and there was one other person in the house in the kitchen at the time, but we were in, in a bedroom and we were fooling around and I was down on my knees and giving him head. I initiated, I, I like, I had initiated this whole thing and he was enjoying himself, but I barely touched myself and, and I came so quickly just being on my knees and like the whole like semi-publicness of it with this person who I loved like so yeah. much, like, like yeah. this is a partner who I had, had you know, I still think like the best sex I've had in my mm -hmm. life was with this partner. And so there was like so much trust and love in that. And and doing this just felt so like naughty, but wholesome at the same time. Yeah. And something about being on my knees on this ground in this sort of foreign <laughs> place, it was really hot. So I like that a lot. So, so yeah, so, so I think that was a, that was sort of like a flash of the thing that I ended up enjoying a lot more recently. Okay. So we talked about the audio erotica and how you work that into fantasies that you create. Can you talk about the fact that you actually like audio erotica? Because two different audio erotica brands insist that only women, they insist to me that women are the market for audio erotica and our listenership is 70% male. What are your thoughts on audio erotica, Tony? Oh, okay. So I think it is the, it is the hottest <laughs> of erotica because i am part of the plot in audio erotica and everything but the voices is up to my imagination and so you can place any person who looks in who looks any way into that situation but i'm not even actively imagining so sh let me explain should i explain what yeah. audio what i mean by audio erotica so it's yeah. it's um kind of audio erotica that i like or audio porn or erotic audio, all those names, yeah. just in case you want to search for it, <laughs> which they should. I, which I, I wish for them to go out and seek this and see if it's for them. And you can go to uh, the subreddit called Gone Wild Audio, which has a lot of great stuff. And it's and if you read the rules, you can see how it's all categorized by um, the voice who's telling the story and the you know the the the, the listener uh, listener's gender as well and whether the voice is the sub or the dom or if it's switch or if it's about aliens or if it's about werewolves or if it's about like or people awesome. or you know it's it's amazing so it, the, the the ones that I enjoy are ones where the the voice is telling the listener what they're doing to them. And it, it usually starts out with a scenario, too. It's like, you know, someone's walking into a room and it's a long day of work, et cetera, et cetera. You know, or I don't know, someone's been beamed into an alien spaceship. I don't know. But it, and there's, you know, sometimes there's sound effects and stuff. But but it's none of it is it's not 
when you, when I say this, like it's not cheesy. Like there's nothing. It's very sexy, and mm. it's it's someone sometimes having a one-sided conversation with the listener. You can kind of imagine your own answers, mm. and when it comes down to the sexy playtime, the the voice is not only describing everything happening on happening around you, like what they're doing to you, what you're doing to them. They're also describing how they feel about it or how they think you feel about something, and all of these suggestions are very arousing to me and to sometimes be suggested things that I might not even think of myself mm -hmm. thinking or feeling yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Just really, really, it, it feels like, uh, like a different plane of, like I'm on a different plane of existence when I listen to these things. Especially if you're inside a spaceship. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that's true. <laughs> so, so that's, that's erotic audio. And, and yeah, that's, that's how it makes me feel. It, it's, it, you know, I, I do think that maybe with erotic audio, there is a kind of, there's a kind of subbiness to it because of the suggestions that are happening, even even if the sub is the one, even if the, the voice uh, is a submissive, there's, you know, they are also suggesting what you, the Dom, are thinking. So are you, you know, it's, a, it's switchy at, at least, I think. I just have to say this for everyone because this is my book of the moment and I hope everyone reads it, even though it's written for women, Unbound by Kasha Urbaniak. She has this frame for dominant and submissive asks and this frame for dominance and submission. She was studying to be a Taoist nun for 17 years and paid for it being one of the top dominatrices in New York. She's my new idol. But she has this really interesting frame about how dominance is attention outward. And submissive, the submissive frame is attention inward on your own desires. And so I've just been thinking about that. And she has this idea that everyone actually is naturally a switch if we are good at basic conversation. And when a conversation is flowing yeah. and gelling, it's because we're effortlessly switching back and forth between attention out and attention in. And I think that's not in a sexual way, but that is what you and I do so well. Although, actually, can I tell our listeners when I stayed with you, with you last, Tony did call me a good guest. And I would say, host, can I blah, blah, blah? <laughs> <laughs> I liked again I liked the suggestion I, I yeah so okay so I would like to hear what else do you want to explore in your sex life what else do I want to explore um or do you just want to get suggested more stuff I you know I I would love I I, I think when it comes to explorations I've been such an initiator I think I in partnerships I've always been the more curious initiator this isn't something i want to work on but it's a wish that i have yeah. which is to meet someone who is equally or if not more curious and and takes the initiative to explore and to bring up those curiosities to me and to sort of have that exchange and all and everything that that entails it, like it's it's vulnerability it's creativity it's yeah. i can't think of a third thing but it's those things and I, that would just be really nice yeah what else needs to be shared about your sex life before this feels like a complete, nice, Tony-ish representation of where you are in this moment? I think, I, you know, I, I came out, I guess now, four years ago, five years ago. And, and I started therapy four years ago, three or four, four, three and a half maybe. And therapy's accelerated a lot of my understanding about myself and not just, not just sexuality, but all the things that are connected sexuality is so connected <laughs> yeah. to, to so many things, but I'm, I'm definitely still under, like, I'm still understanding myself and I, and maybe I'll, I think I'll always be understanding myself because I'll always be changing and yes, but, but I think my understanding hasn't even caught up with where I am today even. Mm -hmm. And I just want to put that out there. I, I mean, so, so some of the things that I hold to be true and important to me today may not be important or true to me a year from now. And uh, and I've just learned so much. I, I don't know. I, I, I think that, you know, an episode doesn't capture it all and it can't. No, and, it's um, just a flavor. I just want to get the pieces, the main ingredients. I know. Yeah. 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 It's and the sampler platter. I think these are the main ingredients. And I think another, and I would just add that another main ingredient is that I, I can't I can't stick with the analogy. <laughs> I, you don't need I'm, to. I'm feeling you. Just that there are a lot of other ingredients and the oven's getting upgraded and sometimes there's new china and you know, you just gotta like work with it at all. Dishes have to be washed. I feel like I feel like someday there will be just like this like very a sexy Tony dinner party. <laughs> like I can imagine <laughs> just like setting up a little table with all the things. Okay. What is your favorite thing about your sexual self? Oh, I think my favorite things 
are sometimes my least favorite things too. But I I, I highly value the communication before, during, because, you know, erotic Mm -hmm. audio and telling uh, stories and then and then after. And and sometimes I wonder, do I over communicate or, or, you know, do I how do I find the balance between the communication that that I desire and that which a lover is comfortable with? And how do I find compromise in communication? So what I love about my sexual self is I have limitless ability to communicate about sex, but that can be a drawback and that can be scary to people. And so it's the thing that I love and I would love it more if I could find that compromiser balance mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, read the room. And mm-hmm. you and I have talked about nonverbal communication. I was just going to say, hilariously, this is a thing yeah, that you and I yeah. talk about all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, so yeah, but, but I do, I do, I do love that I have that capacity. I don't love that I feel the need to fill it up all the way to the top of mm-hmm. my capacity each mm-hmm. and every time. Mm-hmm. Just to plug this book again, because I love it so much, I'm already rereading it. Kasha Urbaniak talks about paying deep attention to the physical animal body of the other person. And, you know, in the two and a half years that I've been like, what about sex? What about sex? What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? What about you? What about you? You know, the piece that I don't have necessarily, especially in the last year where I have not conducted a single interview in person, is I haven't gotten the piece where I just get to pay attention to people. And so that's as I think about implicit communication, kind of that being my next step, maybe our next step <laughs> on our yes. on our parallel sexual journeys, I just want to kind of presence that that because I hear it in a lot of people's interviews where they're like, "Oh no, we don't really need to talk about it," but they're in tune with their partner on this next level way. So, okay, um, I love your sexual communication. Lastly, if you could go back in time and give younger you a piece of sexual advice, what age or ages would you pick, and what would you say? Uh, my, my, my initial, I, I have to, I just have to admit that my initial answer is to say no regrets. And like, I'm so happy with that's understood. That's the base layer of this question. That's always a, the, the way things are is perfect and they are, should be. That's our caveat. I guess I should say that I never do. No, no. I, I just, um, just in case I, I just have a strong, like that's my very mm-hmm, strong mm-hmm. reaction to it. And, and if, if I just, if I, I just want to say one more thing about that, which is, you know, wh- wh- what, I, what I would say to my younger sexual self would be something like, don't bury these these feelings. Just lean into feelings more. Don't try and talk yourself out of feelings. Don't don't feel negative. Try to value feelings as much as you do reason and mm-hmm. intellect because that's always been out of sync for me. But the qualifier to that yeah. would just be that this out of sync thing led me to form, I think, really unique relationships with the people. So I still I have gratitude for that, nonetheless. And then I have an appreciation for the relationships that it helped me build. Like our relationship, absent of sex, led us to not just that we weren't having sex, but we weren't even talking about sex, yes. right? Like that, that, that led us to form so many connections about like, to so many things. And that, that's like how I feel about all the friendships that I had through the end of my 20s. And, and, it, and it, it's it's something that I still am conscious of today. I think it's so easy in conversation, particularly with new people, to fall into, into superficial things. By that, I mean the weather or gossip. And, and in, in, in some cases, sex on a superficial level. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. now I recognize just how important, like I, I have little patience for that. I think a part of it is because, you know, I didn't have these conversations that were like, ha ha ha, this is who I slept with, you know, but it was, it was, but now my conversations about sex are like, this happened. Here's how I feel. Can you relate? And my, and as are my conversations about all things in, in life. And so I can't help but feel like my repression had something to do with that. Mm. And so I appreciate it for that. Yeah. I, I mean, life would have been a lot easier, a lot, a lot less. I would have had a lot less suffering if I had not repressed those thoughts. I don't think you would have had less suffering. I think it just would have been of a different nature if all of my meditation Mm. studies and books I've read (laughs) are correct. That's what they say. Okay. Suffering is part of the human experience. And so, you know, that's why we're here trying to help each other suffer less or just get through it. (laughs) I guess I just want to remind our listeners to close out that Tony was a character in a sex story that was very formative in my life because I was having fancy hot chocolate with you. Where were we? You and I were sitting at this 
busy, bustling New York cafe that was known for its delicious hot chocolate with these gourmet marshmallows. City Bakery. Yes. City Bakery. Yes. Okay. And I was like, oh, I'm having oh, dinner yes. with my <laughs> friends I'm staying with tonight. Like, and I don't know what information I had shared with you that led you to be like, they're going to try to have a threesome with you. And I was like, I really don't think that is on the table. Like, that is not happening. And sure enough, you called it, and I, you were the first person that I called when everything happened. And I was like, oh, no, I ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tony. Such an honor. Maybe people don't know this about you. You're a big part of the reason that I didn't, like, crinkle in on myself and quit this podcast early on when I felt very vulnerable. Because you've encouraged me and supported me so much along the way. So I am wigglebrating you and just always in gratitude for you. And so just thank you for always being my best sex stories friend. And thank you for being thank my guest. You for being, thank you for being my best sex stories friend. You get all of my sex stories. I, I like that we, we, you're my, you're my, you hear, you hear all of my sex stories first. It's and, so um, and I appreciate you being uh, a very grounding, um, a very grounding force and a huge influence on the way that I think about sex and the way that I understand my own sexuality. And I think every listener feels the same way. And so I can, I can, I, I, I know that I'm speaking for them because I, you know, Yay. I hang out with the listeners too. And, and yeah, you're, you're just, you're doing wonderful. You're doing wonderfully. Thank and I you. just, I thank you for everything that you do. I have one last question for you. Okay. Will you sign my petition to get 696,969 people in this next year from April 30th to April 30th to say, yes, the world needs to be a sexier place. And we're going to work together to accomplish that by creating accessible, comprehensive sex ed for all. Will you sign my petition for this mission? Absolutely. Not only will I sign your petition, I'm going to send the petition to everybody I know and I wanted to. I want to help. I want to help find the people who will, you know, develop this sex ed. Like, We're gonna do how it. do that's, we? That's how do we the elect? Project. How do that's, we elect the people to make it happen too? Like, how do we? Okay. 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 All that's right. the project. Getting ahead of myself. That's the okay. project. All okay. Right, great. Okay. Great. Uh, thank you so much for being on this show. Thank you for having me. Happy birthday. <laughs>